If you were to ask the people I am closest to about what words come to mind when they think of me, they would probably say, Walt Disney World. And likewise, if you were to ask the people who are close to my sister what words come to mind when they think of her, they would most certainly say, Frida Kahlo, the painfully gifted artist from Mexico. My sister developed an extremely deep appreciation for Mexican culture when she was in her early 20s. I think part of this came about because we grew up in an area with a high concentration of immigrants from Mexico. When we were younger, my sister and I both ended up working alongside many individuals who had come here from Mexico and other Spanish-speaking countries, often to better their lives and to earn money to send back home to their families. At times, many of these people faced discrimination, racially charged comments and jokes, and were looked at through a pretty judgmental lens. Not for my sister, though. My sister took it upon herself to forge friendships with many people she worked with. Even though she worked in the front of the house, if you will, as a waitress, she reached out to her co-workers at the back of the house, the dishwashers, the cooks, so on and so forth, because she saw them as human beings, not just a group of people who are trying to learn a second language and adapt to American life. I don't remember if my sister took a foreign language in high school or college. I'm sure she did. I just don't remember which one. And even if she did, she certainly didn't show a lot of interest in said language. However, while so many people around these Spanish-speaking immigrants demanded that they speak English and spoke down to them, my sister took it upon herself to befriend them and asked her coworkers to teach her Spanish. During many of her shifts as a waitress in a very, very busy restaurant and bar, my sister somehow managed to learn Spanish to the point where she was essentially fluent. She not only made her coworkers feel welcome in a country that didn't always roll out the welcome mat, but she fell even deeper in love with Mexican people and their culture. She too felt welcomed and accepted by Mexican people. In fact, she would always tell us that someday she wanted to marry a Mexican man. I firmly believe that had her life not ended the way that it did, she very well could have ended up with a Mexican man. In fact, she told us all the time that she hoped to marry somebody that was Mexican, and of course we were very supportive of that. My sister never boasted about her reaching out to her co-workers who were from Mexico. She was just almost always rooting for the underdog throughout her life and saw herself and them as equals. Given that she loved Mexican culture and its people, it also made sense that her apartment was adorned with the images of El Virgen de Guadalupe, our Lady of Guadalupe, the Catholic name for the Virgin Mary. She often burned a candle with her likeness on it and had a framed picture of her on her wall as well. At some point, my sister was introduced to the notable artist Frida Kahlo, and she became enamored with her unique artwork and her story. And like with so many different shows and topics that I've been researching, there are a lot of parallels between Frida Kahlo and my sister's life, which is why this week's episode is a bit of an emotional one for me. Thank God for the beauty that is audio editing. That way, I'll spare you the sound of me dry heaving and going into the infamous ugly cry. However, even though sometimes discussing the various pop culture artifacts related to my sister or my sister in general can be heartbreaking, painful, and emotional, I will discuss them and her for the rest of my life. As the saying goes, 
speak your mind even if your voice shakes. She will always be a part of me. I mean, really, because her name and initials are both tattooed on my arms. I thought I would go my whole life with no tattoos. I mean, I don't have a problem with them, but I thought I was going to go my whole life with no tattoos, and here I am, having two. She gave me the courage to to be able to do it. But anyways... With that being said, on today's show, we'll be discussing the life of Frida Kahlo, one of the most famous artists to come out of Mexico in the early 20th century and a feminist icon. I thought maybe I had a vague sense of what her life was like, but I soon realized I really had no clue, and I am so grateful that she is the topic of this week's episode. You will learn all about Frida's early life growing up in Mexico City, a life-changing event that happened in her early adulthood some of her most notable works of art, and how she became known as one of the most prominent artists the world has ever seen, perhaps more famous posthumously than she was during her lifetime. So grab your floor-length skirt, a paintbrush, and a cigarette. Hey, Frida was a smoker. Get off my back. That's the only reason why I said it. Here we go. Hello, and thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, a show inspired by, and in memory of, my big sister Rebecca, and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I am your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. You are tuning into episode number 20, Frida Kahlo, my sister's favorite artist and hero for most of her adult life. Frida Kahlo passed away decades before my sister was even born, but nonetheless, she was such a symbol of perseverance for my sister that I knew our time machine needed to go back a bit farther in time than it usually does. So I busted out my tools and made some adjustments, and, uh, you know, the time machine was ready to go back a little bit farther. I think you'll enjoy the journey, though. I know I did. Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo y Calderon was born on July 6, 1907, in Mexico City, Mexico. Her father's name was Wilhelm, but was often referred to as Guillermo. He was born in Germany, he was Jewish, and was also a photographer. He had immigrated to Mexico at the age of 19 because he apparently could not stand his stepmother. His first wife sadly died during childbirth. Later, he met Kahlo's mother, Matilde. Guillermo became well-known for his photographs of famous leaders in Mexico and also of himself. And one thing I was watching, they talked about how he kind of was one of the first people to do selfies. Kahlo's mother was apparently very religious and rigid. Her father was more laid back. Matilde was allegedly not able to read or write, but man, she could count money. Which would have come in handy if they had Monopoly. She could have been, always been the banker. Frida was one of four girls in the family. Her sisters' names were Matilde, Adriana, and Christina. She grew up in a house dubbed La Casa Azul, or the Blue House, which her father built himself. She was described as being an outspoken and brave young child. At the age of six, Frida contracted polio. She was bedridden for almost a year as a result. Her right leg was impaired because of the illness, and she walked with a limp for the rest of her life. 
Her dad encouraged her to swim, wrestle, and play soccer to aid in her recovery. Her father was pretty progressive with his ideas for how to help his daughter, as most of his suggestions were endeavors that girls really did not partake in at this time. Other children were critical of Frida and her illness. Some teased her and called her peg leg. God, kids are mean sometimes. She learned a lot about art and posing from her dad as he constantly took photos of the family. And I think me and Kahlo's dad really could have been friends in another life as I do the exact same thing. If you are familiar with any of Kahlo's paintings, you know she has a solid understanding of how to pose in a very striking manner. When she was a bit older, she once dressed like a man in a three-piece suit for a family photo as she had grown tired of their typical photos with traditional outfits. And that's something that I certainly appreciate, because you know I wasn't going to be caught dead in a wedding dress on my wedding day. I had a suit, custom-made. It was pretty awesome. In 1922, Frida enrolled at the National Preparatory School. She was one of the first female students to attend. She was a very dedicated and serious student. She actually had hopes of becoming a doctor one day. During her time at the school, she became friends with students who were interested in politics. She joined the Young Communist League and the Mexican Communist Party. During her time in school, she became fluent in several languages, including English and German. During her first year of school, she crossed paths with a famous muralist named Diego Rivera. He was painting a mural at her school, and she was instantly curious about him and his incredible talent as an artist. She certainly stuck out to him as well. She came across as just so intense and so determined, even at a young age. As he was working on the mural, she would play pranks on him sometimes, such as putting soap all over the stage or the ladder that he was using. She told her friends at school that one day she would marry him and have a baby with him. A few years later, on September 17, 1925, Kahlo and her boyfriend, Alejandro Gomez Arias, were riding the bus, at the time buses were primarily made of wood, when it collided with a streetcar. A steel handrail went into her hip, penetrating through to the other side of her body through her reproductive area. She fractured her pelvis and her spine. Someone at the scene of the accident insisted on removing the guardrail from her body. Doing so was incredibly painful, even more so than the initial incident. Some bystanders said that she was screaming so loud from the excruciating pain that the sound of the sirens were drowned out as they were approaching. She lost a lot of blood during this accident, so much so that the doctors were not sure if she would even survive. Despite several people losing their lives as a result of this accident, somehow, some way, Kahlo survived, but she had a very long road to recovery in front of her. Doctors said that she would likely not be able to have children as a result of this horrific accident. She began painting in 1925 as she was recovering from the bus accident that nearly killed her. Her father designed a special easel that was set up for her over her bed, and she began to paint constantly, including on her body cast that she wore for some time. A mirror was also attached to her bed so she could see herself. She was left with many physical challenges, and this is how she channeled her excruciating pain. As I was researching Frida Kahlo, a clever thought came across my mind. And I'm going to be eating my words if somebody else thought this, but the first four letters of paint are pain. 
I'm not sure, like I said, if anybody else has thought of this before, but if not, you can certainly quote me on it. That's Amy Lewis, A-M-Y-L-E-W-I-S, and you're welcome. And if someone else has already thought of this genius statement, I apologize. I wasn't aware. But anyways, Frida eventually returned to school after being in the hospital and recovering at home. She was in a wheelchair for quite some time and would be using it off and on for the rest of her life. She went through very painful therapy, which involved trying to straighten her back while wearing a wrap that went under her chin and it hung from the ceiling. She drifted apart from her friends during this time and ended up breaking up with Arius. She did, however, continue to focus on her art. Kahlo and Rivera reconnected in 1928. She had learned how to walk again, which was absolutely remarkable considering she narrowly survived her traumatic accident. She wore many different back braces and corsets throughout her life to help aid with her back pain, but nothing was really that effective. She discovered Diego painting another mural. She left him a gift, a painting of her self-portrait. She asked him if he could come and see her artwork to critique it and to help inform her as to whether or not her artwork was any good. He was quite taken aback by her talent and started spending time with her at her house, La Casa Azul. He was blown away by how gifted Frida was. And keep in mind that Frida was essentially a self-taught artist. She got a few lessons from a neighbor nearby who was a printmaker, I think it was. But other than that, she learned all on her own after the countless hours she spent in her bed painting to cope with her circumstances. Once again, the first four letters of paint are pain. God, I'm smart. Diego encouraged her to keep up her painting. Their unique friendship turned romantic, and in 1929, when Frida was 22 and Diego was 42, they got married. Her parents weren't exactly huge fans of Diego. As a matter of fact, when they got married, they referred to Diego as an elephant and Frida as a dove. Despite being called a dove, Frida was certainly no angel. It was said that she had the mouth of a sailor and she smoked cigarettes and drank like a fish. Someone once said that Kahlo could, quote, drink tequila like a real mariachi. It is interesting to note that Rivera was at least six feet tall and weighed more than 300 pounds. Kahlo was just 5'3 and weighed 98 pounds, which is almost the exact same size as my sister. Kahlo was known for her striking looks. Her eyes were very captivating, and she was not at all concerned with her unique facial hair. She had some dark hair above her lips, and she probably holds the award for having the most famous unibrow in history. This didn't bother Rivera, though, who once compared the thick eyebrows which met above her nose to the, quote, wings of a blackbird, their arches framing two extraordinary brown eyes. Which is a very beautiful and thoughtful statement, because when I see somebody with a unibrow, I just think, oh my god, good morning to your unibrow. Their wedding was attended by family and friends and involved excessive amounts of drinking by their guests. Rivera's ex-wife, who was at the wedding for some reason, that's kind of awkward, she had too much to drink and decided to call out Rivera in front of everyone, including Frida. She told everyone that she couldn't believe that Rivera would pick Kahlo over her. She lifted up her skirt and showed off her kind of average-sized legs and then proceeded to lift up Kahlo's skirt to show her small legs 
and questioned why she want her little legs over her strong ones. Rivera didn't really try to break up this embarrassing episode. Kala was so upset about this that they didn't spend their wedding night together. She spent it alone, and he apparently spent it at a bar. Their marriage was incredibly passionate, and Frida really felt that Diego was a love of her life, despite the many challenges they faced. And it seemed like he really considered her the love of his life also. Frida would suffer through over 30 surgeries to help relieve the pain she was left with following the accident, but none of them was very successful, and she felt like some of them actually made her condition worse. However, Frida often brought Rivera lunch wherever he was working. She would even bathe him. One time, she painted a picture of him naked and resting on her lap, almost as if he was a baby. A huge, huge baby. And what further complicated their marriage was the infidelities that they both engaged in. And I'm not one to make a lot of comments about somebody's appearance, but it's amazing how many women Diego Rivera was able to canoodle with as he was, um, how can I say this kindly, not attractive at all. Okay? Not attractive whatsoever. He was, however, incredibly charismatic, creative, and magnetic. So it was just sort of understood that he would have affairs. However, Frida Kahlo also engaged in affairs. Some said that she was the love interest of Leon Trotsky, who was a former Soviet leader who had sought asylum in Mexico with his wife. That has been disputed at times, but certainly Frida was also unfaithful with multiple people. She also allegedly had an affair with Josephine Baker, who was a dancer. In one of their residences, Frida and Diego had their own spaces separated by a long walkway. This way, they could both have studio space and private spaces, if you will, for their other extracurricular activities. They traveled and lived together wherever he had art commissions, including New York City, where they lived in 1931, San Francisco, and other locations in the United States. While they were living abroad, Frida became pregnant. Although the thought of Frida being pregnant was exciting, it was also really scary given her health challenges and serious injuries. Sadly, she had a miscarriage and was taken to a hospital in Detroit as they were living in the area at the time. Following yet another traumatic event, Frida turned to painting to cope. She painted a picture entitled Henry Ford Hospital, which was completed in 1932. In the painting, we see Kahlo laying in a hospital bed. The sheets are sadly covered in blood, and surrounding her are the various images, including the fetus of a baby, pelvic bones, etc. This wouldn't be the only time Kahlo would lose a child. Animals would eventually become like Kahlo's surrogate children. During her lifetime, she had a pet monkey, a fawn, and dogs. While living in New York City, her paintings caught the eye of Andre Breton, who arranged for her first exhibition, which took place there. It was very successful and led to another exhibition in Paris. As a matter of fact, the world-famous Louvre Museum in Paris, France, purchased Kahlo's painting, The Frame, in 1939. It was the first time that a 20th century Mexican artist's work was purchased by a major international museum. The Frame was a self-portrait where she is wearing a green dress. Her face is surrounded by a border with colorful birds and flowers. 
After traveling for some time for commissions and some disagreements between Rivera and the Rockefellers who had hired him to paint a mural at the Rockefeller Center, the couple moved back to Mexico. First, they lived in San Angel, and later moved back to La Casa Azul as Frida inherited the house from her dad. Kala was incredibly grateful to be back in Mexico, as she really did not care for America or Americans. She said that Americans were, quote, boring, and they have faces like unbaked rolls. 1939 was a significant year for Kahlo, both because of her recognition as a true artist, but also because of the downfall of her marriage. Kahlo and Rivera divorced that year. Although both were unfaithful, Rivera had an affair with Kahlo's youngest sister, Christina. Some of her most well-known paintings were completed during this time. In 1939, she painted the two Fridas. In the painting, we see, well, you know, two Fridas, sitting together and holding hands on a bench. The Frida on the left is dressed in a kind of traditional white gown. Her heart has been cut open and is bleeding on her dress. The Frida on the right is dressed in more modern clothing, and her heart is complete. In 1940, another painting came out of this very distressing event entitled Self-Portrait with Cropped Hair. Frida cut it to about chin length, put on one of Diego's suits, and painted a portrait of herself. In addition to using art again as her outlet, she was also hoping she may be able to start selling more of her paintings. She didn't want any financial support from her ex-husband or any other man, for that matter. Frida was once quoted as saying, There have been two great accidents in my life. One was a trolley, and the other was Diego. Diego was by far the worst. Later in 1947, the Two Fridas painting was purchased by the National Institute of Fine Art in Mexico City. She was finally starting to be recognized for her incredible work. Less than a year after divorcing, Kahlo and Rivera got remarried. Apparently, the couple suffered from a very serious case of a love-hate relationship, or perhaps it was the infamous Can't Live, Can't Live Without You plague. Incredibly, in 1943, Kahlo became a professor at La Esmeralda School of Art in Mexico City. She was unique in her teaching in that her students didn't just sit in a classroom to learn about art. Instead, she had them take to the city streets to work on capturing the essence of Mexican life. Eventually, she was forced to hold the classes at her home so she could primarily teach from her bed because she was so weak. In 1944, Frida painted one of her most notable works entitled the Broken Column, which depicted the injury she continued to deal with as a result of the bus accident almost 20 years prior. She is naked in the picture and is split down the middle, with her damaged spine represented by a column. She had recently had yet another surgery on her spinal column, and the procedure left her bedridden yet again and having to wear a metallic corset to help ease the pain that she had endured for so long. There are nails in her skin and on her face, representing the discomfort she was almost always dealing with. 1953 was another incredibly difficult year for Kahlo. She had developed gangrene a few years earlier in her toes, and it was starting to spread. She would eventually have to have part of her leg removed below the knee. She had a prosthetic leg that she used from time to time. She also reportedly developed an addiction to painkillers during this time. In addition to the unfortunate amputation of her foot, Kahlo's health was really starting to decline as well. She spent a lot of time at home, surrounded by the things that were important to her. 
If she knew someone was going to be traveling, she would ask them to bring her back some small item or trinket. It helped make her feel less isolated. My sister was exactly the same way, well before she knew who Frida Kahlo was. For most of her life, she always collected small items such as toys or figurines. On her desk for a long time, you could find small Care Bears and Hello Kitty figurines and other reminders of our childhood. Later in life, my sister had a small apartment and she didn't have very much, but among the few things I took from her home after she passed were three figurines that are now on my dresser below a collage of photos of the two of us together. Those figurines include a little green Buddha, a geisha doll, and an owl. I look at them every day, even though sometimes that is incredibly difficult. In addition to Kahlo's love for having small, memorable items around her house, she also had a lot of folk art in her home. She was incredibly supportive of Mexican artists. Their work was on display everywhere that you looked in La Casa Azul. Kahlo's home was truly her oasis. She took incredible pride in its care and decorations. Again in 1953, Kahlo reached an incredible milestone. An exhibition of art was to take place in Mexico. Her dream was about to come true, to have a showcase of her incredible artwork in her home country, a country she loved and celebrated every day of her life. However, her doctor told her that she should not get out of bed and was too weak to attend. So she came up with the most genius compromise I have ever read about. She showed up to her own exhibition in her bed, which was placed onto a stretcher and moved by several men. She followed her doctor's orders by not getting out of the bed, but she followed her heart by attending her exhibition. During the last year or so of her life, Kala was very depressed but still managed to make art. However, her strength was also on the decline. It was difficult for her to hold a paintbrush, and a lot of her later work is understandably not as detailed as it was before. She was hospitalized in 1954 for poor health, but some speculate that it was a suicide attempt. She famously once said, I am not sick. I am broken. Her last work of art was entitled Viva La Vida, Watermelons. FridaCallo.org describes this painting in the last few days of her life best. The website says, quote, Viva La Vida, Watermelons, is the last painting that Frida Kahlo did. A vibrant conclusion to the short life of Frida Kahlo, Viva La Vida, Watermelons features rich color contrasts, curves and angles, and a final message from the artist herself. Kahlo put the finishing touches on her watermelon-themed painting just a few days before her death in 1954. Frida Kahlo inscribed Viva La Vida on the central melon wedge at the bottom of the canvas, which translates as Long Live Life just eight days before she died. This may have been a straightforward statement as she neared death. It may also have been an ironic commentary on her pain-filled existence due to polio, a bus accident, and multiple surgeries. Watermelons have hard shells that protect the soft flesh inside. When you bite into the flesh, you experience cool, juicy sweetness. At its most elemental, a watermelon could symbolize the artist herself, who had to develop a thick skin to weather a life marked with physical pain, a troubled marriage to artist Diego Rivera, and harsh criticism of her art. However, Kahlo shows in the painting that once her shell is cut open, it reveals an inner life that is vibrant, fresh, and sweet. Also, the many seeds of the watermelons, like those of the pomegranate in Greek mythology, symbolize fertility as well as immortality. 
Once the fruit is gone, the seeds carry the promise of new life forward into eternity. Watermelons also relate to the traditional Mexican Day of the Dead, when relatives imagine their dead feasting on watermelon and other favorite foods. On this day, Mexicans celebrate their dead rather than mourn them. The artist herself echoes a spirit in her statement, Long Live Life, or Viva La Vida in Spanish. The whole watermelon in the middle of the painting is spherical like the earth. It is a complete circle like the cycle of birth and death. In her diary, just days before her death, Kahlo penned her final entry stating, I hope the exit is joyful, and I hope never to return. End quote. Although I will never know the answer to this thought, I wonder if maybe this is what was going through my sister's mind when she passed away. Her life was so painful and so isolated at times that perhaps the prospect of leaving brought great peace and joy and an end to her many years of suffering. For the rest of us, though, our hearts shattered into a million pieces the day that she left us. And we will work for the rest of our lives to pick up the pieces. As I have mentioned in a previous episode or two, my sister dealt with a pretty significant injury that prevented her from being able to walk for the last year or so of her life, and to get around, she used a wheelchair. After her injury and subsequent passing, I realized that one very famous Frida Kahlo quote really pulls on my heartstrings. She said, Feet, what do I need you for when I have wings to fly? On July 13, 1954, early in the morning, Kahlo's body was found by her nurse. She had passed away. Her cause of death was declared as pulmonary embolism, but some say it was a suicide. An autopsy was never performed. Whatever was her manner of death is ultimately not important. What matters is that for 47 years, the world was graced with her incomparable spirit and artistic talent. Decades after Kahlo passed away, she continues to be a symbol of feminism, Mexican pride, and even LGBTQ pride. Her sense of style was also incredibly unique. She often dressed in what was sort of her own unique version of the colorful and vibrant Tijuana dresses. She was often seen in floor-length skirts with an embroidered blouse. Her outfits served multiple purposes. First and foremost, the outfits were an homage to her mother's heritage, and also the floor-length skirt hid her legs. The skirt moved in a way that didn't bring attention to her limp, and the dresses could easily be put over a corset or a back brace. She also wore spectacular jewelry, like long gold earrings and jade necklaces. Her hair was usually relatively long and styled in an updo involving elaborate and beautiful braids and hairpieces with flowers. Further, apparently Frida often wore gold-studded teeth whenever she went out to socialize and party. Perhaps Frida Kahlo popularized what would later be called a grill. In 2001, a self-portrait of Frida Kahlo appeared on a postage stamp. An autobiographical film entitled Frida was released in 2002 and stars Selma Hayek in the lead role. Hayek is truly outstanding playing Frida, and the film was nominated for six Academy Awards. You can watch the film on Netflix, which I did this past week. It is very well done, and from what I have learned, it sounds like the film is pretty historically accurate down to the infamous unibrow. Kahlo's likeness was also portrayed in the 2017 animated film by Pixar called Coco. If you are dealing with significant grief, you may want to avoid this beautiful film, as the last few minutes of it will have you crying in the fetal position. I know I was. 
it's going to be a long time before I can watch this again, because the theme of the movie revolves around grief and loss and, of course, Dia de los Muertos. But on the flip side, sometimes a good cathartic cry can be incredibly therapeutic. On Halloween one year, my sister dressed like her hero, Frida Kahlo. In a picture that my family sends back and forth at times, we see her in a Tijuana-like dress, complete with a line drawn between her two eyebrows and holding her chihuahua, named, as you may have expected, Frida. I hope you've enjoyed this look back at the marvelous yet devastating life of Frida Kahlo, one of the most well-known and admired artists the world has ever seen. During her lifetime, Frida Kahlo produced about 200 paintings and about 55 of those were self-portraits. Her art combined folklore, fantasy, and surrealism into personal narratives. Kahlo didn't sell a lot of artwork when she was alive, but after her passing, her paintings have been incredibly valuable. One reason why her artwork has become so popular and so lucrative is because for many years, Mexico prevented the sale of her artwork so as to preserve the heritage of Mexico. In 2000, for example, one of her self-portraits sold for $5 million, and more recently, some have sold privately for over $15 million. Every day when I walk down or up my stairs in my house, I pass an ink drawing of Frida Kahlo that my sister had hanging in her apartment. From now on, I will always look at it a bit differently now that I know more about who Frida Kahlo really was and why she meant so much to my sister. I am incredibly uninformed, maybe even ignorant, dare I say, when it comes to art, but researching the life of my sister's hero, or as my lesbian professor in college would say, Shiro, Kahlo's life opened up my eyes into what all of her work meant and what her life has meant to so many people. I also have my sister's Frida Kahlo necklace, which I refused to take off for the first few months after she passed away. I know I have seen Kahlo's artwork throughout my life, and I always just thought it was, well, kind of odd. But I can now emphatically say that I too have an affinity and admiration for Frida Kahlo and all that she and her artwork stands for. If that woman could find the strength and courage to pursue her passion despite having so many barriers and obstacles to conquer in order to do so, what's my excuse? So I guess what I'm saying is maybe we should make that move to the Disney World area after all. We have reached an incredible milestone just prior to the recording and release of this episode, 1,000 downloads. I didn't have many expectations, per se, when I first thought of putting this podcast together, other than trying to do something to help with the painful grief me and my family have been experiencing, and perhaps bring some smiles to the wonderful people who listen and support the show. Thank you so much for the love and support, and sharing the show with people you care about. If you're enjoying the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, please consider subscribing on whichever podcast platform you use. Please also rate the show as it helps bring more listeners to the show. You can contact me anytime. You can reach me via email at popcultureretrospective at gmail.com, or you can follow me. I'm on Twitter. I'm at popcultureretro. I hope you will join me for my next show, where we will be discussing the cassette tape layer that changed the lives of many a morning mall walker and teenager all over the world, the Sony Walkman. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories.